There's a text that we chose at the very beginning of the year as the theme for our church, and we have read it a number of times, and I want to share it again with you in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And the verse simply says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Lord, today we come before You and we are a people of Your Spirit. We seek Your presence. We need Your leadership. We are in desperate need of Your strengthening. We need to be led by You. We need to be held by You. And so, Father, today we come before You and we ask that in these few minutes as we share the Word before we dedicate this team and commission them, I ask that you would take the Word of God as if it were a seed and plant it within our heart, and that by your presence you would water it and nurture it, that we might grow to be more like you. Take the mission's heartbeat of our church and lead us wherever you need us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, we have some pictures before us and some shirts and some other things that will be distributed to our team in just a few moments. And while the theme of this message primarily is to our team, I also want you to understand that I know that there are those of you that wish that you could go, others of you that for whatever reason this isn't your time, but the next time we go is. And some of you that believe that missions is something that we do outside the borders of America, and I believe with all of my heart that missions is something we live day by day. Wherever there is someone that is not in relationship with Christ that we come in contact with, that becomes our mission field. And I know that today a lot of people, especially in our churches that I speak to, are so worried about being inadequate. Especially as it relates to sharing your faith or, or telling other people your faith story. And some people feel as if, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm worthless as it relates to being used of the Lord because I, I have no gifts and I don't have anything that I can offer the Lord. And the best thing that I can do is shut up and stay out of everybody else's way. That's a lie from the enemy. Other people said, you know what, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I tried to do something once and I tried to start a conversation and it didn't go well and I got embarrassed and so I ran back after that and said, Lord, I tried once, it didn't work, I'm never going to do that again because I didn't see any results and so I'm not going to risk anymore. Others feel as if I'm, I'm just not talented enough. I, I don't know what to say and I don't know how to act and I don't know how to respond and so it's easier for me just not to do anything because I'm just not talented enough to make a difference. Others look at the world and they begin to see how big the job is. And they say, you know what, it's so big, anything I do really isn't going to make a difference. So I just choose not to do anything at all because it's too big of a task. And then there are others that when the Lord begins to tap them on the shoulder, their first response is, Lord, I think you missed. You were aiming for the person in front of me. You need to tap them on the shoulder. Can you please choose somebody else? And what we see, and this is especially true even in America today, is that we have a spiritual inferiority complex that comes as a result sometimes of seeing the wrong things and thinking the wrong thoughts. And sometimes we come to the wrong conclusions as a result of that type of thinking. And I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13 this morning because... There's a passage that seems to demonstrate that just a bit that I would like us to look at that gives us an example. In Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Thank you, Peter. You are such a help. 
says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of the ancestral tribes, send one of its leaders. Now, as you look at this particular passage, you can quickly see that the Lord was giving this land as a gift. He says, I want you to go and explore your new gift. I am giving you something, and I want you to begin to enjoy it a little bit and know what's coming your way. Now, I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, the biggest boxes under the tree seem to get the biggest attention. Maybe that's just me or your children. But there's something about big that seems to capture our attention. And the Lord was telling His people who had been wandering in the wilderness, your journey is about to come to an end and I want you to have just a glimpse. I want you to open the corner of this gift and just peek in the box a little bit and see what I'm going to give you because it's going to be awesome. And so there were different people that were chosen from the tribes to go and to take a peek at this. And the twelve names that were given were Shuma, Shaphat, Caleb, Egal, Hosea, who Moses changed his name a few verses later to Joshua. Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sethur, Nabi, and Gul. Now I want you to think about these names. It's really important. And you should try to remember them. Because most of them saw the wrong thing. Most of them allowed the wrong thoughts to control them. And most of them came to the wrong conclusions. And were never heard from again in the Bible as a result of their inferiority complex as it relates to what God was going to do. In fact, in Numbers chapter 13, a little bit farther, in verses 17 through, through uh, 32, we begin to read that when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he says, I want you to go up to the Negev in the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak or few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or unfortified? Or how is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? And are there trees on it or not? And do your best to bring back some of the fruit from the land because it was a season of ripe for the grapes. And so the instruction was given to go into this land and take a look at it and come back and give us a report of what the land is like. And we know at the end of that chapter that when they came back, it tells us in verse 30 that Caleb had to silence the people because the vast majority of those that came back said everything about the land is great except for the people are big. The cities are unconquerable in our opinion. And even though God is giving, to this, giving us this as a gift, we don't think we're up to the task. And it says in verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, Listen, I want you to be quiet. You're looking at this the wrong way. He said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Within this entire chapter, there is one thought that seems to come again and again. And I believe it applies to each of us today in our own lives. You will either measure the tasks before you in life against your own strength or you will measure the tasks that you face in life against the power and the ability of God to accomplish them. And how you view your world and how you view your life and how you view your relationship with God is going to determine whether or not you get to see victories in your life or you stay in a spirit of of a fear and inferiority as it relates to what God wants to do. 
In fact, in Numbers chapter 14, God was so angry after saying, I just wanted you to peek at the gift, not come back and say that you couldn't do it because I'm giving it to you. In other words, I'm going to fight the battle. I just wanted you to look at it and you come back and you're all afraid. And the Lord says in chapter 14, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs that I have performed among them? In other words, God said, you have looked at this the wrong way. You've drawn the wrong conclusions. I didn't intend for you to have to look at this as a way that was going into a land that was undefeatable. I'm giving it to you. I just wanted you to see what you were going to get. And instead, you run scared because you don't think you can do it. And he says, of course not. I was going to perform a miracle and give it to you. And the Lord looks at this inferiority complex of the people and he says... How long will they call me a liar? That thought stuck in my mind as I was preparing this because I realized that if I were to ask you one-on-one, most of you would say, you know in your heart that God can do anything. You know that there is nothing that is impossible to the Lord. And yet as it relates to us and the activities of our own life, so many times what we believe in our heart and what we understand in our head never makes it to the activity of our lives. Because we look at things through human eyes rather than the eyes of the Spirit. Nothing kindles the anger of the Lord more than to be told that He's a liar as it relates to what He wants to do in and through your life. And so I want to take just a few moments this morning and look at some examples of what happens when people believe God and take Him at His Word. The first passage of Scripture I'd like you to look at is in Exodus chapter 3. It's the story of Moses. And we know in verses 1 through 5 that it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the, the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he begins to identify himself to Moses and begins to tell Moses everything that he wants to do to release the children of Israel from their captivity. And Moses is getting more and more excited because he knows this is exactly what the people have been praying for for so long. And as he grows excited about what God is going to do, then God drops this on him and says, and I'm going to use you to do it. It was so good right up to that moment. We get excited in the church when we, we know what God wants to do. And then when He taps us on the shoulder and He says, and you're going to be the one to lead it. You're going, no. No, I can pick some better people for this, Lord Jesus, than me. And throughout the third chapter, there's this very natural conversation that takes place between Moses and God. And it's very natural because Moses demonstrates everything in humanity that you and I would he begins to talk about all his fears. Well, Lord, you know, that, that sounds like a good plan, but, you know, what if the people don't believe me? What if they don't like me? What are you going to do? You know, I'm not capable of doing what you're asking. I have no knowledge of you or your name or your power other than the fact that you're burning a bush in front of me that it's not burning and talking to me out of that. 
I can't speak very, very well. I'm not very eloquent. I'm, 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 I'm used to talking to sheep, God. And now you're going to ask me to go and talk to people, and not just people. You wanted me to talk to Pharaohs. Big difference between Betsy and Pharaoh. I can't even get sheep to listen to me. I, I, I'm not very quick on my feet. I don't, I don't have any snappy responses, Lord. You've... Is there another shepherd around out here? Did you just get the wrong one? And then comes this part in chapter 4. Moses answered and said, what, what if they don't believe me and listen to me? And What if they say that this didn't really happen? I mean, this is going to be rather hard to explain to people. And then the Lord said to him in verse 2, and this is really important. He said, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses did what each of us would do. He ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. That's exactly where I would want to grab a snake if I had to grab one. And so Moses reached out and he took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. And what I want you to understand about this is that you very clearly see that God didn't ask him for something he didn't have. God said, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And Moses said, well, it's a staff. It's something that I'm good with. I am a good shepherd. I've been doing this a long time. I know how to use the curve of that thing to move the sheep where they need to be. I use it to walk. It helps me. This is my occupation. I'm good with this. And he goes, then give me what you're good at. And let me show you what I can do with what you're good at when I put my hands on it. And some of you need to recognize today that God is not asking you for what you don't have. He's asking you to put into His hands what you do have so that He can touch it and make it even better. Turn, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. Another great story in verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, the prophet Elijah, and he said, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there because I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her, and he asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. Then we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but make me, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and your jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. I have told this story in the past about what it must have been like for this little Mideastern lady who was preparing to make a little bit of a fire to make the last piece of bread she had and watch her son who was in the other side of their little home starving to death. He might already have been showing symptoms of malnutrition with 
a stomach that was extended because they had had very little and she had been rationing out what they had, hoping that this drought would end. And then the prophet shows up of God. And he looks at her. And as he comes in, he says, Get me some water, if you would, please, and a piece of bread. And with that, the anxiety was more than she can take. And she whirls around to him and she says, I don't have what you're asking for. You're asking for more than what I've got. And I can almost picture her putting a little flower that she's got in her hand and coming out to him and saying, This is all I've got. You're wanting me to take the little bit that I've got. The only thing I've got to feed my son and I, then we're going to close the door and we are done. We are dying of starvation after that. And you're wanting me to give that to you. And he says, this is the promise of the Lord. It doesn't make any sense to you in the natural. But if you put what you've got into the hands of God, watch what He'll do with it. And as that little lady was making that bread and the fire was baking and the little aroma of that was floating through that house, she had a decision to make. Would she lean on the wisdom of God or would she lean on what seemed right in her own eyes? And when that bread was done, her son might have been standing there going, please, please feed me. And she walks over and she hands it to the prophet in obedience and he takes a bite and says, now go make some more for your son and you. And she walks over to that jug that had just enough flour that she knew she had emptied. And she opened it up and God had supplied miraculously. And there was flour and oil enough for them to eat and make it through. And in all of that, the Lord simply asked her in her moment of need, What do you have in your house? I'm not asking you for what you don't have. I'm asking you to put what you do have into my hands so that I can use it and glorify myself and work in your life. What do you have in your house? And the interesting thing about this is that God still asks us to trust Him with what we have, whether it be a lot or very little. He still requires us to trust Him with what we have in our house. And then lastly, in John John chapter 6, It's the story of the lunch of a little boy. John chapter 6, verse 5. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And He asked that only to test Him, for He already had in mind what He was going to do. That's important for you to note. Sometimes the Lord will ask you a question that He already knows how He's going to answer it. But He asks you and I to test us to see if we will trust Him within it. And Philip answered Him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of these to have a bite. And another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? And Jesus said, Have all the people sit down. And Jesus takes this little boy's lunch. And the thousands of people are sitting on the hillsides there. And you and I would look at that lunch and know that it couldn't even feed one section of our church. In fact, if there's teenagers there, it's not going to feed one of them. And Jesus took that little boy's lunch with his permission and he asked God to bless it and he began to break it. And not only did it start breaking, it began to multiply and they fed thousands with that one lunch. Because somewhere in that little boy's heart and mind in following Jesus, he began to realize 
that Jesus can multiply whatever you've got when you put it into His hands. So the question to you today, team going to Haiti and team that's staying here and those that are praying for us and those that are missionaries here is, what do you have in your life that God is asking for? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your house? What do you have in your lunch pail? Because Jesus will use all of it to show His compassion for needy people. And teaches us that anything can become great when it's put in His hand. For those of you that were here when I was candidating to be your pastor, I taught a Sunday school class that morning and I told my favorite story about one of my missions experiences that happened to me in India. I'm going to ask Karen if you please come. I was on my way to speaking at a a youth convention in India and we were coming around a curve and there was a place where the traffic had stopped and as I was having a conversation in the back seat with the missionary, there was a kid that was knocking on my window and saying, rupees, rupees, rupees. And I turned to look and there was this little girl there that was horribly disfigured. Her face looked like it had been about half burned off and I'm reaching in my pocket to give some rupees to her and the missionary grabbed my arm and he says, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do that? He goes, these little kids, he said, there are so many kids born in this part of India. He said that literally their parents will take them when they're born and sell them to a syndicate for a few dollars. He said the syndicate takes these kids and will break their arms or break their legs or in this case take acid and pour it all over this little girl when she was just an infant to make her look so poor and so bad that people will give money to her. And he says, if you were to give her money, she's going to go around that corner over there And she's going to give that money to the syndicate boss. He says, unfortunately, when these kids get to be teenagers, he says, they literally are left on the street to die because there's other little kids that can get more money than they do and they just push them out and they pick up bodies every morning. He said, you're going to meet some of these kids today when we gather at the the place where you're going to speak. He says, because we started an orphanage for them. And he said, you're going to meet some of these kids that we've rescued. One of the little boys that came that particular morning... I don't even know how to describe what was wrong with his body, but he couldn't stand up straight. In fact, he literally walked on all fours like an animal. I don't know what had been done to his hips or his back or his legs, but whatever it was was so so gross in its ripping of his body, he couldn't stand up, and so he walked like an animal. And he came to the altar that morning as I'd finished speaking, and through his interpreter began to speak to me, and I preached a message that morning on being everything God has created you to be. And he came up and his words through the interpreter to me were, Mr. Speaker, can you tell me what you think it is that God has created me for? Can you tell me what what my purpose is? And I remember kneeling down next to that little boy and I thought, if ever there was a moment in my life I need wisdom, it's right now, God. I need your wisdom. And I put my arm around that little boy and I prayed with him that God would reveal to him what it was that he was created for. Later on, he told me a story Because that evening when he came back, there was two boys. One of them had grabbed a hold of his belt and another boy had grabbed a hold of his arm and he was leading them into the church. And at the end of the service that night, he came to me and he says, he says, I was on my mat in in the home where I'm living. And he says, and I was asking the Lord today, what is it, Lord, that you can use me for? What can I do? And he said, about that time, the missionary came in with two more boys that they had purchased from the street. Both of them were blind, one of them because acid had been poured across his face and the other because they had literally removed his eyeballs. And he says, and in that moment, he says, God began to speak to me. He says, I will never be able to stand up and walk upright like you do. He said, but 
I knew in that instant that I was just the right height for them to be able to use me to see for them. And he walked over to one of the boys and he grabbed me by the hand and he hooked it onto his belt. And he led him over to get the other boy and he hooked his arm onto him. And he led those blind boys to the house of the Lord. And he said, I have found what I can do. I can see when others can't and I can lead them to the house of the Lord. And as I stood there next to that boy, I couldn't help but crying thinking about what it will be like for him. When he stands in the presence of the Lord and the Lord looks at him and says, Your body may have been broken, but all I asked for was your eyes and you gave me your eyes so that you can lead people to come to hear about Jesus and a Savior that loves them for the very first time. And so today, we come to a point in our service where we're getting ready to commission our team to go to Haiti. And for some of you, it's been a big stretch. The idea of leaving America, going to a place that has been ravaged to the point where it's not even a third world country anymore, it's a fourth world country. And we are going to serve. We are not in charge when we get there. We are going to represent this church and the body of believers and we are going to love people. And we're going to serve however the Lord would have us to serve. But we have answered the call to give the Lord whatever it is we have within our hands. And as I call your name this morning, those of you who are part of the team, I'm going to ask that you would stand and come and stand in front of where your picture is today. Josh Salvage. Paulette Venuti, Kim Venuti, Lindsay Stafford, and Cheryl Severance, and Amy Sedal and Christian Glisson, Debbie Sedal and Sabrina Stagnita, and Mark Freeman, and Jared Sedal, and Cindy Dement, and Roman Evans, and Katie Martin, and Kylie Avery. Jim Sedal and Olivia Forsyth and Emily Glisson. Grace Assembly, this is your team that's going to Haiti next week. And we can't do this without your help. We need your prayers. For some of you remember last October when I went there for a few days and came back and showed some pictures and you know that Haiti is a country that traditionally has given itself by its very nature over to voodoo. Demonic things. We are coming with the word of the Lord and the light of Jesus Christ. And greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And I'm going to ask the team if you would turn around and just face me for a moment. Dear brothers and sisters, we're going because God has called us. From the very first time it was mentioned, there was a spark within your heart. Some of you had to ask parents. Some of you had to ask spouses. Some of you had family meetings and said, we're doing this together. Some of you had to be drugged, kicking and screaming. But you obeyed. Some of you, it was an enormous, enormous step of faith financially because you didn't have the money. 
Other people have stood alongside of you and said, I want you to go in my place. I'm going to support you as you go. We're carrying with us some supplies that may seem rather meaningless, except for the hundred rolls of toilet paper. There are some things that are really important. Supplies that we'll be giving to other teams. There's going to do some painting and light construction and ministry to villages. We're going to be holding some orphans. Children who don't have the joy of having a mom and dad that are still around love them. And with that, we're going to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to serve. We're being sent with the good news of Jesus. And we're going to live it out in our words and our deeds. And I ask you now, the sending congregation, in the presence of God and these witnesses, I'm going to ask you, will you support this team with your prayers? And if you will, would you please say, we will. I believe you. The Holy Scriptures say concerning the mission of the church and how it's to be carried out in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Because of his authority, we are going. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. For moms and dads that are sending your kids and you're thinking, I'm a little bit worried about this. I want you to know something. God is with them always and He can take better care of them than you can. He loves your children more than you do. I still don't comprehend that, but that's what He says. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. No matter how hot it gets or how tired we may get, how far outside our comfort zone we may go, we will be the light. Fellow servants, I give thanks to God for you and your willingness to serve and shine as the light of Jesus. And 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Each one of you should use whatever gift He has given you to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If any speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever. Amen. And so, dear servants, I ask you now in the presence of God and these witnesses, are you willing and ready to use your gifts and put in the hands of God whatever He has given you? And if you would agree, would you please say yes with the help of God? I commission you as missionaries to Haiti in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember the words of Philippians 4, 13 and 19. It says, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength and my God will meet all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Some of you have been asked, I'm going to ask you to turn around now. Some of you have been asked to be prayer partners with this team and I'm going to ask if you would step forward just a little bit because if you've been asked to be a prayer partner with any of this team, I'm going to ask that you would stand up from where you are and that you would come and stand with them. 
I'm going to ask parents to come and stand alongside their children as well. In fact, family, come and stand alongside your loved one. This is both an exciting time, a solemn time, somewhat of a little bit of a scary time because none of us are really loved walking into the unknown, but we know that God sees what we don't see. And He's told us, I want you to get a glimpse into what I'm giving you because I believe He's giving us souls. So would you stretch your hand out to the team as I lead us in prayer? Father and our God, as we stand before you, we are demonstrating to you this morning our trust in you. We are demonstrating to you, O God, that we believe that you can use us and that you speak to our hearts and that this team has been divinely assembled, O Lord, for the purpose of being your hand extended of grace to the people of Haiti that we have yet to meet. Lord, we're going to join an organization that is there that ministers to the people every day. And we will only be there for about seven or eight days. And so, God, I ask that you would give us your strength, that in spite of how hot it may be or how humid it may be, that you would give us a supernatural strength to be able to complete the task which you are going to give to us. I pray that you would help us to remember the few phrases that we are trying to learn of Creole. And that we would be able to express to them our love. And that more than anything else, that our actions and our attitude would scream that we love Jesus and we love you. I pray, Lord, for the families that will remain here, that will be hoping and praying every day that things are going well. I pray for parents that are sending their children and have the anxiety of their children being in a place where they can't see them and speak to them every day, I ask that You would reward them, Lord, with Your peace that surpasses understanding. I pray, Father, for husbands and wives that will be separated, Lord, and brothers and sisters and families that will be apart for a few days, that You, Lord God, would protect us while we were there and protect our families that remain here. That there would be nothing remarkable that would happen that would require any attention that would take us from the mission. Lord, we ask for your anointing. We ask that we would be able to speak in the power of your Spirit. That we would have an unction that we could say, Thus saith the Lord. And see lives delivered and changed. And may we love children while we are there, God, with your hands. And so, Lord, I commission this team in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We belong to You. Use us, God, as You choose, that You may receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.